0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Road. Jonah Siegel out here in Seattle, a beautifully overcast, typical Seattle fall day. Silver, Silver as far as the eyes can see, but it's clouds, not smoke, which is progress here. It is NHL Free Agency Friday, and um, happy to be joined with someone whose work I have followed a long time. I I know we've texted. I'm not sure if we've actually ever, I don't think we've ever met. We may have talked one or a few times. Um, He is Rick Rick Westhead, who has the world's longest title. He is the senior correspondent for TSN and a contributor to CTV National News and W5.
1: I could read on, but it goes on and on and
0: on. Uh, Rick, how are you today?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you. Appreciate the chance to come on and chat for a bit.
0: Yeah, you've—I um, followed you for years. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Like you did do some stuff for the New York Times. That's I right. I know you were with the Toronto Star. Did you go sports, non-sports, sports? Is that kind of accurate?
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I started out doing sports coverage, uh, working for, you know, the Toronto, excuse me, the Globe and Mail, and the New York Times and whoever else I could get to to take my sp- stories. Um, and I wanted to change a scene. And so I uh, had my heart set on becoming a foreign correspondent, joined the Toronto Star in and around 2003 and uh, wound up running the Bureau for the Star in South Asia. So lived in India for the better part of four years, covered Afghanistan, Pakistan, that whole interesting patch where you walk out your door and you've got a front page story on every street corner. And then uh, TSN called and uh, joined the network in 2014 and have been here ever since.
0: So did you spend, and for some reason I thought you spent some time in the Middle East. Is that inaccurate?
1: Uh, well, I've I've gone in and out of the Middle East. I've not uh, lived there, but I've reported in Israel, in Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan. So I've kind of been through the, the territory, the, that part of the world, but I've actually never put down roots there and lived there.
0: And um, which do you like better? Do you like, I mean, you did day-to-day sports. You did the trades, the, the games, the, those types of stories. And then you did real news. And now you're doing a blend because you're certainly not doing the day-to-day sports. Uh, I'm gonna use an awful word. I think you actually do the important part of sports. Um, of the three, you know, kind of the hybrid, the real news, and then the, the, the play action sports, if you will, which do you like doing best?
1: I think I'm probably in a spot right now that's really good for me because I do love sports. I love playing hockey. I love playing basketball with my kids and baseball even, but um, you know, but for me personally, it just wasn't fulfilling to be going to the games and, you know, following pregame skates and line matchups and tracking things like that. And so the stuff that I'm doing now, which I think is, interesting because it's the nexus between sports and all kinds of different societal issues. That, that's really what I find interesting. You know, what makes people tick writing about um, writing about and doing television stories uh, about perseverance and hope and family and loss and uh, you know, all of these different emotions and trying to find a way to tell those stories in a way that are compelling and trying to gain the trust of people to tell stories that they otherwise wouldn't talk about.
0: I would imagine that certain people in positions of power uh, don't like to see your name pop up in their Outlook or on their phone. Um, Just because of the nature, (laughs) you can't see him, folks, but he's got a big shit-eating grin on his face right now. Because you go into the dirty places, you go to the places that people don't like to talk about. Um, I, and
1: I, I'm not. I don't know that I'm grinning so much as smirking. Um, you know, <laughs> I've heard I've heard that before. Not exactly sure why it's. I mean, I'd love it if you could get somebody on the phone right now or to join us to to to, to say that. I don't know why anybody would be upset with me. So, why? No, no, because, no. I, I, let, like, because so... no. Just let me finish my thought. Like at the end of the day, I am doing stories that can be uncomfortable for some. But I, what I'm doing is giving a platform for people to tell their stories. So who can begrudge me that? My job is a journalist. My job is to tell stories. And so if a family wants to talk about the struggles that they've had, because they say, uh, of how a professional sport or league or team has handled their situation, why shouldn't I be telling that story? Why would any league be upset with me for giving somebody the ability to have a voice?
0: So so let me let me reiterate the question in a different let me put the question in a different way. There's zero, nobody has said to me and there's zero intent to infer that you're not well liked. But if you're calling a commissioner or somebody in that position, you're typically calling because you're entering an area that isn't something that they're likely going to be overly proud to be talking about. You're not talking about a new TV deal. You're not talking about a new revenue stream. You are. You're you're talking about real life and stuff that's really important, and you do an exceptional job at it. So, whereas if Gary Bettman sees a Seattle reporter calling, he's probably he or she is probably calling to find out the latest on an expansion deal that's going to bring the league a lot of money. If Rick Westhead is calling, something has probably happened, or you need a comment or insight on a family or a story that's going to delve into an area that makes them uncomfortable. I I don't think they hate you and I don't think they disrespect you. That wasn't what I was trying to say, but you go to those areas that people generally aren't overly thrilled to be talking about.
1: Uh, I have a luxury at TSN. I have, uh, there's leadership there who believe in what I do and what I do takes a lot of time. Um, If you think back to the stories that you know, if I think about the stories that I've done recently, let's just, let's just put your theory to the test here. Who would be upset or who, what about me calling? So most recently we did a documentary about, uh, called the problem of pain with producer Matt Cade. And we spent a year talking to players, active and former and trainers and other people in the game about the use of the anti-inflammatory Toradol and what it's done to their bodies. Again, giving players who wanted to appear on camera, the chance to do that. Would the league be upset by that? Well, it's an uncomfortable story, but maybe at the end of the day, there'd be people within hockey who would say, thank God someone's talking about this. The last thing that we need are more retired players whose whose health uh, is jeopardized because of these anti-inflammatories. So it's a great thing that we're talking about it more to get our trainers, our doctors, our coaches our players all on the same page before that you know uh we've done we had a story on crestwood uh girls basketball team a high school basketball team in toronto that had has performed amazingly well we've had a feature on jonathan david an up-and-coming soccer player for the canadian national team who lost his mother recently Zaid wisdom a hockey player just drafted by the philadelphia flyers whose uh, single mother uh, battled through all kinds of adversity to give her kids a chance to succeed in life. Uh, I think back a little bit further, Nick Patan, a Toronto Maple Leafs player whose father died by suicide and on how that Patan family tried to rally together and make sense of an incredible loss. I mean, I don't see any reason why anybody would be (laughs) upset with me calling about those stories. These are just Powerful stories. Sherrod Baltimore, uh, a CFL player who, as a teenager, was homeless in Baltimore, who was able to just keep fighting and make it to the Canadian Football League. I, I wonder sometimes if stories that are uncomfortable, we remember these ones more. And the stories about good, you know, hardworking athletes who have overcome, maybe we don't recall those as frequently.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, like, you know, I'm a fan, I'm a believer. In it, and I think in a lot of ways, what you do is equally, if not more important than, than the day-to-day stuff, especially around the drug stuff and the concussion stuff and the, in, like that stuff's really important. Um, there's no question. We, we, we're a train wreck society. Like we were, you brought it up, we were talking off air that we're sitting here today in the U.S., the the country's going to hell in the handbasket. The elections—I don't know—twenty-five days away. I've never seen divisiveness like this before. They arrested thirteen guys in the state of Michigan yesterday, who were going to kidnap the governor with the intent, stated intent of starting a civil war. Um, you're in. You're in the GTA where Doug Ford is announcing massive shutdowns. You know. little bit of chicken little and his predictions you know trying to scare the shit out of people that things are about to get really really bad and if you flip on tsn if you flip on tsn tsn radio or sportsnet or sportsnet radio they're talking about the nhl handing over you know 70 to 100 million dollars this morning you know what are people you know that that's our world and we live in this we can't wait to see what's going to happen next It's, it's it's train wreck society right
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You know, the, we've got 20, this is also a week when on Tuesday, the Quebec major junior hockey league talked about how it's safety protocols for players in its own words were above reproach. This was when the province of Quebec ordered two teams, the Quebec ramparts and uh, the Armada to postpone games through at least the end of October because of local COVID outbreaks day later the armada have 18 positive cases on the team and yesterday the sherbrooke phoenix a team that played the armada twice in the last week have eight cases so 26 cases in two days there in a league where it's proto safety protocols for players is again in its own words above reproach um god this this last year feels like it's a decade long you know then the number of times i've i've got on the phone with infectious disease doctors uh, not just daily, but two, three, four times a day, every day since February. Uh, you know, the, 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 beat certainly has changed. And, and even though there is a need for us to keep doing stories about free agency and trades and what's happening on the ice, I mean, that is TSN's bread and butter. Uh, it feels like it's more important than ever to really understand, again, that intersection now between sports and public health should junior hockey be resuming in Canada at a time when there's a 60,000 case backlog in testing. Um, you know, it was one thing for the NHL to, to do what it did in the summertime in, in bubbles. The number of, of cases was not increasing then. And the number of tests, there was more than enough tests for, for everyone to have one. That situation's changed right now. And I think the reporting that can be done, um, you know, is super important as well.
0: It's, uh, it's amazing. Like I I was listening to one of the radio shows the other day and I hadn't thought about it, but it is possible that we don't really have a major junior season this year. Like nobody can say with any degree of certainty when this is going to go back to normal and they're going to have regular games. But next June, they're talking about the next NHL entry draft. June's not that far away anymore. Um, we sit here in the middle
1: of october i I interviewed the sport minister in ontario last week lisa mcleod and she told me well if the ohl comes back again which is not a certainty perhaps they'll not be able to have fighting or contact or or even body checking and everybody on social media who whose comments i noticed were like oh well forget this that's not hockey that's shinny okay So don't play. I mean, (laughs) the government is setting the rules here. So if the response is to say, well, that's not the game as we know it, it's not even worth playing. I I wouldn't go to see a game. Well, that's fine because first of all, no one's going to see a game anyway, right? There won't be fans in, in the arenas. She said that as well, whether it's professional sports or amateur sports, like the Canadian hockey league, at least to start. So it, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens over the next couple of months, you know, starting and ending with the U.S. election, of course, uh, uh, early November, November 3rd. But then just everything else that that we have to look forward to that we're hoping, you know, gets going again soon. Well, from a
0: content perspective, we're about to drive into the abyss. If you take the National, hockey, the national Football League out, we're going to have crickets till someone's able to do something. And by, by all means, it's it's the NHL announced a January target date. I I'd bet significant amount of money that's that's dreaming. I'd be shocked if it's before February. And I think March is probably more realistic.
1: Yeah, it's it's impossible to predict. It really is. We just don't have any way of knowing. Um the the doctors who I talk to, doctors who've had frontline experience dealing with the SARS outbreak dealing with Ebola, dealing with H1N1, dealing with MERS, they all say it's impossible to know. And if they're in the dark on this, then our politicians are in the dark on this as well.
0: So you've covered all the hot topics, drugs, sexism, racism, injury. You've covered them all. Uh, Exceptional, I will add. When was the last time that you were that you were like, "Holy hell, this is shocking!" Like this really affected you or surprised you?
1: Uh, well, it's probably with this book that I have coming out on Tuesday. Uh, you know, my first book. It's called Finding Murph. It's uh, the biography of a former number one draft pick in the NHL, Joe Murphy, who uh, had a successful NHL career. Was drafted number one in 1986 won a Stanley Cup, made millions of dollars, and is now you know using crystal meth and, and living homeless through Western Canada. And it wasn't necessarily his story, which was surprising because it, believe me, it was when, when we were able to track him down. But through the reporting of the book, I think what really surprised me was just how many times over the last 100 years, the NHL's medical teams should have been on notice that it was not okay to use smelling salts to wake up an unconscious player and put them back in a game. You know, this 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 league, the NHL, would have us believe that we're we've only been talking about the consequences of concussions and brain injuries for the last 10 years. This is a new this is a new thing. Nobody was talking about it before. And that's just patently false. You know, there was there was research going on uh in uh, about the the dangers of repeated brain trauma for as long as there's been an nhl heck in 1933 during the early years of the depression um the chief of surgery at harvard university came out with a, a report not a report but a guideline for the ncaa rules for contact sports and in 1933 which include hockey in 1933 there was a rule for NCAA teams that a player who had a brain injury was concussed could, should not be able to play again until he was symptom-free for 48 hours. So is it possible that no one in the NHL knew about this? None of the doctors working for teams had any idea, I suppose. But, you know, I could take you through the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, every decade of the century after that. And show you cases where the medical staff of that league, you know, should have known and should have done something to follow up uh, research that was coming out. Why? Another small example. Why would it be in the 1950s that on a Friday night at Madison Square Garden, you could have a boxing match and have a fighter knocked out? And if a fighter was knocked out in New York State in the 50s. He had to be held out from practicing, from sparring, from everything for a month until he recovered to give his brain time to heal. Let's say the very next night there was a New York Rangers game and a player was knocked out at center ice in a fight or knocked, hit his head on the ice or whatever. That player could be woken up with smelling salts and be in the game for the next shift. (laughs) How does that make sense? Where's the logic?
0: So what is it about that story that surprised you?
1: The fact that this is a league where I've met so many nice people, people who want to help, but for some reason, the system is just established to not care. You've got a, you've got a, a, a hockey community full of caring people, but again, a, a, a league that is just built not to care. Bill Masterson, everybody knows the story that he was the first NHL player to die on the ice. But if you go back and look at the coverage of the time, you know, he was playing for Minnesota, he was hit by a player from Oakland, hit his head on the ice and died later in hospital. But even before his body was in the ground, the general manager for his team was suggesting, well, he looked like he was out before he hit the ice. Maybe he had a heart attack. There might've been something else going on there. Trying to throw shade on the possibility that he'd hit his head on the ice and had, you know, a severe brain hemorrhage and died. And then when he was dead, when other players in the NHL wanted to have a a charity game to raise money for his widow, the president of the NHL, Clarence Campbell said at the time, no, everyone knows what the risks are in our game. This is just one of the hazards of hockey and refused to have a charity game for his widow. And I just found and again, in the book, there's all kinds of examples of this. We think of Joe Murphy as the most extreme case of a player who's fallen on hard times, but the truth is, uh, and I, I talked to Glenn Healy about this, who's now running the NHL Alumni Association, and you should talk to him too. There's, there's no shortage of former players who are struggling. You know, we, we see and hear the guys at Center Ice, at the Rogers Center, who go around in a, in a convertible, waving to the fans, And they're there because they can do that because they can wave to the fans. But how many players are there who, whose families have fallen apart, who are really struggling month to month? The answer is we have no idea. And why don't we know? Because the NHL, even though it has the resources to find out and survey its former players has made the choice never to do that.
0: Well, was it you who wrote the story or somebody in the athletic? Was it, Greg Terrian, a former Maple Leaf player.
1: Yeah, I think that was a Dan Robson piece.
0: Another one, right? Like, yeah. you read stories like that. Like, I'm 48. I grew up watching Greg Terrion. I believe he wore number seven. Like, the fact that a guy like that, like, he wasn't the greatest Maple Leaf ever, but back then there weren't any. Um, but the fact that a guy like that ended up in a situation where I'm pretty sure he took his own life, like, the stories in and around like there's two guys, right? There was Don Mal- Dan Maloney? Don. Mm-hmm.
1: Dan Maloney, I think yeah. Dan
0: Maloney is one and then Greg Terrian is two. I like and, and by the way, like it's not unique to hockey. I'm not sure if you saw the story a couple of days ago about um what's his name? Uh Delante West, the NBA. Yeah. That Mark Cuban like heard the guy was same thing on Crystal Math, homeless in Dallas. And he like Mark Cuban jumped in his car and like grabbed down and picked the guy up. Um, my question is, I can see you chomping at the bit. My question is we live in this world. Now I've lived on both sides of the border and you've lived, you've certainly lived abroad. I don't know if you've spent, if you've actually lived in the States, but the one thing you hear universally is hockey's different. It's easier to ho- talk to hockey players. The business, you know, easy, you know, much more friendly, much more open. And a lot of that gets attributed to the fact that they're good old Canadian boys. You know, that's the difference. So here's my question. Hockey has, it's, I'm not going to declare it a problem, but it certainly has a reputation of, let's call it, the bro culture that the other sports don't seem to have. And in talking to people in other sports, they all say it seems to be way worse in hockey. You know, that, that hazing story that came out around the time that, that Babcock got fired, where, where the kid who said he was forced to drink, to bob, bob for apples in a, in a bucket of urine. Like those stories, you, we hear all kinds of stuff in the States, especially in football and basketball. Nothing like that. And in talking to people in baseball and football and basketball, they all say the same thing. Like the culture in hockey seems to be way more significant for stuff like this. You spend a lot of time in it. Do you have any idea why that is?
1: Well, I don't know that I agree with your premise. Okay. I, think, I think hockey players, generally speaking, are good people. They are a lot of Canadian families. You can talk to them. But are they open, really? Oh, that premise. You get it. Okay. You get a lot of yeah, knows. You know, yeah, no, this or whatever about the game. Hockey's a monoculture. Hockey is a sport where players from the age of 14 and 15 are. It's drilled into them. You are not as important as the team. They look and dress the same way. Look, watch them walk into a game on on hockey night in Canada. They're wearing the same beanies, the same suits the same haircut, the same full sleeve tattoo on one arm. They sound the same, right? The same kind of clips. That's why we make jokes about pucks in deep, right? Yeah. Cause the guys all talk about this. They, they say the same thing. So this is not the NBA where players individuality is celebrated. Uh, it's just not, it's full of great people. And, you know, some of the players, uh, I consider friends guys who are playing still now and guys who are, are retired, but let's not kid ourselves. And Did I lose you for a sec?
0: Yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. And
1: just because they're approachable does not mean that they're always going to be, you know, honest about what's going on in the lay of the land in the game. You have three You have three groups of hockey players, the active players, the former players who work in the NHL and for the teams, and the former players who want to work for the NHL and the teams. But can't. Or aren't yet. Right. And so even trying to get them to talk and be, you know, forthright about something In the back of the minds of many players, it's how could this affect my chances to get a job down the road if I talk openly about this right now?
0: Yeah, it's, um, you know, in reading what you do and and what Dan Robson, like, there's stuff out there that is really troubling and disappointing.
1: Let let me me ask you, yesterday, Jim, uh, the the general manager for the Dallas Stars, did his postseason debrief and talked about all the different injuries that his t- players battled through in the playoffs. Ty- Tyler Sagan had a torn labrum in his hip. You know, another guy uh, such bad ankle and foot injuries that he had to get shot up for with painkillers every day and could barely get his skates on other players with, you know, shoulder problems and more toward all injections and painkillers here and painkillers there. Do you, do you expect Or is it the role of reporters in your opinion? Do you want to hear people saying at a briefing like that, where's your team doctor? We should have the chance to talk to the team doctor about what your pain management policy is and philosophy is so that we can understand whether you're telling players in a quiet moment, not in the heat of a game. Hey, here's what happens if you take Toradol or here's what could happen if you take it every day for two months. Or do you not think that's the role of a quote unquote sports journalist?
0: Yeah, I'm the wrong one to ask because I'm the only, I'm one of the few who doesn't under, I mean, I know exactly why, Uh, but I don't, you know, Cam Newton tests positive for Corona. We know about it, right? Like whatever, whoever I'm not sure if it was. I think it was him who tested. I think Cam Newton tested positive for Corona. Like, the NHL gets shrouded in secrecy and a, and a reporter, like it or not, gets barbecued for publishing it. Um, to me, it comes down to one issue and one issue only. And that's betting. That if if wagering on hockey was as big as it is in the National Football League, the pressure would be immense on the NHL to be more transparent on who has what and for how long. Right now, they can get away with Lower body injury, day to day, blank stares, no comment. Why? Because the volume isn't very high in Vegas. But they're now venturing, and Rogers, by the way, posted yesterday a job for Rogers Media for someone to lead the brigade on betting strategy. So, if and and, and the score has gone heavy into betting, and the NHL's, I think the first league to really get into bed with casinos and, and online betting. Well, I, they better be careful what they're hoping for, because knowing what goal he's playing, what superstars playing and why, which may involve, by the way, who has Corona and who doesn't, will suddenly become a lot more important. And the questions that you're talking about are going to have to be answered.
1: Well, let's hope so. You know, I, I think that the media who cover the NFL tend to be pretty aggressive in their reporting. I like that I I, you know I I I am not buddy buddies with the people I cover ultimately I'm a journalist and there's there are people that I cover you know teams and teams in a league and that's the way I think it's supposed to be it's not my job to protect the NHL Um, and you know when I watch Gary Bettman hold a press conference and someone asks him about you know, latest news on brain injuries or concussion. And he says, I don't want to start a new narrative on this. I don't want to talk about it. And everybody nods and moves on to the next question. I'm like, really? That's like, there, there's no, we, 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 I, I would think that there'd be some reporters in the room who'd say, no, that's, that's, that's not an answer. But, uh, you know, I guess I'm, I can't be at every press conference. So. <laughs>
0: All right, let's, let's take a pause for a second. Uh, good time to transition into this. The wait for football is uh, finally over where I think we're in week four or five. Uh, you might not be able to be at the games, but I heard there's going to be 65,000 in Miami this weekend. You can still bet online with my friends at betonline.com.ag Dot I should say. They, uh, my son, by the way, said to me last night, turn on the TV. I want to catch the end of the Buccaneers game. I said, why? Like, why do you care? He goes, I bet the game. So, you know, even, even the youngins are now getting involved in, in betting on football. From game spreads to totals, team player, coaching props, Bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. There's always the online casino to go as well. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And if you tend to read Rick's stuff or watch it or listen to it, and you feel the need to crawl up into a ball after it and relax and just take a nice, easy rest, Sleep Envy is more than a mattress. Customize your mattress by taking the one-minute quiz. It ships in a box right to your door. Try it for 100 nights in the comfort of your home. Shipping is always free. If you're not satisfied, they pick it up and refund you. Today only, use Press Row at checkout to get 25% off. Go to sleepenvy.com and enter the code PRESSROW at checkout. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you, you talk about Batman and you talk about um, this whole, he doesn't want to talk about concussions thing. We have the race thing. I mean, there's so many issues that are continually dangling out there. Are we ever going to reach
1: a conclusion on them? Like, are we
0: ever going to get to the point where the, the leagues do the right the league does the right thing?
1: Tough to be optimistic about that. Um, you know, one of the things I cover in my book is, uh, a meeting in 2017 at the all-star game in Los Angeles, Eric Lindros flew out hockey hall of famer high profile with Dr. David Mulder, the top doctor for the Montreal Canadians. And the two of them had an ask for Gary and Bill Daly and the NHL, which was could every team in the NHL pledge a million dollars to fund brain injury research a million bucks for, you know, how much is a minimum salary in the NHL? now? 700,000. I
0: think it, I think it just went up, but pretty close. A five,
1: a five, you know, in good times, a $5 billion industry. That was three years ago and they're still waiting for an answer. If a hockey hall of famer and a doctor with 50 years experience in the NHL cannot get a response from the league's office, I have a tough time thinking that there's a lot of reason for optimism there. Uh, This is not a league from my perspective that moves because people pressure them to, or say, you need to be doing this. They do things on their own calendar and in their own way and in their own fashion and if you critique them or criticize them for it, the the whipsaw effect, you know, the, the the backlash is is severe and it comes quick.
0: So, friend of the show, podcast guest, Husky Tatter, you know, was you've know, got the Order of Canada, the Order of Ontario, top neurologist, not only in the country but one of the top in, in North America, you know, was was almost run out of town by Don Cherry. If well, you remember Don Cherry, you may not. Remember he was him.
1: actually he was actually run out of lock NHL locker rooms before he you know had his problems with Don Cherry. In fact, he's one of the, the guys that I talked to for this book. You know that he was one of the team doctors for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. And what happened? He started saying to management, "You need to hold these players out and let them heal before they get back on the ice." And guess what happened? <laughs>
0: So are you surprised that that Don Cherry has disappeared?
1: Uh, I haven't really thought about him, to be honest. Um, You know, I was never... I, I remember working with him briefly back in... I think it was on Hockey Night in Canada in 2007, doing hot stove stuff. So I spent some time in the green room and getting ready for shows and stuff with him. And it was tough not to be impressed by him because of his his many many years as a public figure and how influential he was but um you know i never was a huge um his his language about french canadians about europeans about sikhs i thought was always disturbing and you know i i think maybe just you know, what was going to happen to him? How could it not, given the language that he used for so many years?
0: Just a, a, a pre, pre-site or, or early insight into the world of Trump with uh, <laughs> every Saturday night, right? Like, it's not all that different. Um, one project you work on, I don't and I don't mean this negatively. I don't know how many people, and maybe you do, because I think it won some awards. Uh, was the the Durbano podcast? Holy hell, was that good! How did that come about? Um, you know, just would love to know a little bit more about that.
1: Well, luckily we've got some really smart young people at TSM. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bar Down team. I am. Uh, Dave Crix leads this yep. group, um, and and it was amazing being able to work with them. I knew the story of Durbano, uh, the fact that he had uh, gone to jail because he'd imported drugs into Canada, and that he disappeared into, you know, northern Canada in the later stages of his life. And so basically, we just worked as a team, we had Takia Singh and Emily Hanskamp and Sam Glisserman, um, you know, Sammy's, you know, regular on uh, and Tekias as well with the Bardown people now. And we just, it was amazing, a great experience, you know, the amount of people we were able to track down who played with Durbano, who knew him, who knew his story, coaches, teammates, you know, you name it. And then we kind of capped that off by flying down to Florida and interviewing his brother and his father and uh, talked to them about why uh, Steve's behavior was the way it was. This was a guy, even, even when things in the 1970s in hockey were off the rails, he took it to another degree. And his brother had a theory that there was a reason for that. And so it was It was very interesting. Um, his brother told us that he had actually been sexually abused when he was a child by someone at a camp, by a counselor. And the father had, Steve's father had never known this. So we were sitting in his living room. You know, I remember palm trees in the back out, outdoors. And I remember like a grandfather clock ticking as we were talking away. And Durbano's brother, John, started just sharing the story with his own dad about what had happened to them when they were kids. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a sad, tragic story and what a reminder that somebody may be in pain for a long time and not know how to express that.
0: It was uh, one of the best podcasts that I've heard. You don't usually hear news series or docu podcast. Like, I don't know what the right name for them is. Like Serial was fantastic, but it wasn't real. Like this is real. Um, and got to hear a lot of voices that I'm familiar with from growing up and and watching and paying attention to sports. Are there more of those coming up?
1: There's two that I'd love to do. I'm obviously not going to tell what they are, but, uh, they, they're very hard to do. Uh, I've been working trying to make headway on both of them for the better part of a year. And again, these are just add them to the list of 25 other long-term projects that are in the, their infancy, you know, maybe, maybe they get life one day, maybe they don't, but they're, they're both worth trying. So we'll see.
0: Well, it's uh, it's awesome talking to you. Uh, As I said, I think, I think we are headed off into the sports abyss. Uh, especially north of the border where there is no NFL. I mean, people are going to follow it, but with the Raptors, Blue Jays and Maple Leafs off, it's, it's going to be, we're a long way from spring training. uh, And I think the work that you do is going to be, it's going to be much, the light is going to be shine much brighter in the absence of day-to-day sports going on, which I think is a good thing. And uh, love following you on Twitter. had no idea about the book. Got to add it to my Amazon list. When does it come out? When does it come out?
1: On Tuesday. Yeah, it's published by HarperCollins and you can get it uh, uh, through Indigo and Chapters, through Amazon. And uh, I don't know, maybe if you're kind enough, you'll throw up a link on your Twitter for your followers. If you send it to me, you know I would be happy
0: to do that. And if you do it before you go to bed tonight, I will add it to uh, this post here. I had no idea the book was coming. It wasn't the reason for the reach out. Um, Really appreciate you doing this. Have a happy, especially healthy Thanksgiving alone with whoever lives under your roof. I hear that is the protocol and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon.
1: All right, sounds good. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Believe.
0: You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.